The gospel reading for this morning comes from John's gospel, beginning in the fourth chapter at the fifth verse. And John wrote these things. Jesus came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was still there. And Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. And Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to a Samaritan. Jesus answered, well, if, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh living water. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw water with, and this well is deep, so how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons and livestock, and passed it down to us? And Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water, so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. And he said, go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. Well, that's nicely put, I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshipped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming. It has, in fact, come. When what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. And the woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming, and when he arrives, we'll get the whole story. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. And just then his disciples came back, and they were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of a woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. And the woman took the hint and left. And in her confusion, she left her water pot. And back in the village, she told the people, come and see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? 
and they went out to see for themselves. In the meantime, the disciples pressed him, Rabbi, eat. Aren't you going to eat? He told them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. And the disciples were puzzled. Who could have brought him food? Jesus said, the food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. As you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months it will be time to harvest? Well, I'm telling you to open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. The harvester isn't waiting. He's taking his pay, gathering in his grain what's ripe for eternal life. Now the sower is arm in arm with the harvester, triumphant. That's the truth of the saying, this one sows, that one harvests. I sent you to harvest a field you never worked. Without lifting a finger, you have walked in on a field worked long and hard by others. Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. He knew all about the things I did. He knows me inside and out. And they asked him to stay on. So Jesus stayed two days. A lot more people entrusted their lives to him when they heard what he had to say. And they said to the woman, We're no longer taking this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves and know it for sure. He's the Savior of the world. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? When we trust the wisdom in each of us, every color, every creed and kind, and when we see our faces in each other's eyes, then our heart is in a holy place. When we tell our story from deep inside and we listen with a loving mind and we hear our voices in each other's words, then our heart is in a holy place. When we share the silence of sacred space and we feel the power of each other's faith, then our heart is in a holy place. Open our hearts, ears, and minds to your word for us this day. Amen. So, there is this special mud, and Major League Baseball absolutely depends on it. A brand new baseball, just out of the box, you see, is quite slippery, so much so that a pitcher has no control when throwing one unless it's dirtied up a bit first. So an umpire spends a lot of time before a game rubbing mud into dozens of baseballs. But not just any mud works. Before the 1930s, teams tried all sorts of substances, including tobacco juice and shoe polish, but nothing really worked. Then one day, Lena Blackburn, a no-name player turned coach was taking a walk near his home in New Jersey when he stumbled upon some strange mud. Obviously having a eureka moment, Blackburn took some home and tried it out. And it worked brilliantly. So by 1938, 
the American League was using Blackburn rubbing mud exclusively on all of their balls. And the National League wouldn't use it until the 1950s, mostly because Blackburn refused to sell it to them. But they've been using it ever since. Now, only two people know the location of Lena Blackburn's baseball rubbing mud. Mud business owner Jim Bentliff and his wife. And the location of the mud has been a closely guarded secret since Blackburn stumbled upon it in the 1930s. All that is known is that it is from a tributary of the Delaware River somewhere near Palmyra, New Jersey. Now Blackburn and his business partner John Haas never revealed the location to anyone, going so far as to shovel 500 pounds of the mud themselves every year well into their 80s. And when Blackburn died, Haas brought his son-in-law Bentliff in on the secret. And Bentliff made the yearly trip into his 70s along with his son Jim to gather all of the mud needed for the entire year. Just one barrel lasts a major league team an entire season. But it is crucial to their operation. So you can just imagine what they charge for this amazing rare substance that can only be found in one part of the world. Actually, it's $24. <laughs> so one might ask, what is all the secrecy really about? So Jesus comes into Samaria on his way into Galilee. Samaria, it's a separate place. In fact, John goes so far as to tell us that Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans, but not Jesus. He goes on into Samaria and he offers a view of the kingdom of God in which all are welcomed. And what follows, I think, is just simply a wonderful encounter. A deep and meaningful conversation with someone who you see had a history. And truth be told, we all bring our own context with us into all of our encounters. But that context does not have to define us because our loyalty is wider than group or tribe. It is ultimately a loyalty to the kingdom of God, which includes all. So there, right by Jacob's well, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman. And she's a strong woman who may or may not have felt strong, but she's surviving in a patriarchal society. And she's a person of some pretty open secrets. She has a past. In her own community, this past, it seems to define her negatively. And it seems as though she's accepted this definition. We can know this because she didn't come with the other women to the well. It seems that she was shunned and she defined herself that way. But then, here is this Jesus, accepting her just as she is. And he even breaks taboos by asking her for some water. It means he does not judge her past. 
He just accepts her. Just like all of us here, we come with a past, but that past does not have to define us. But also, I ask you, could John be using some symbolism here? Modern writers tell us that this woman actually could be representing Samaria, which according to Jewish history, worshiped the five foreign gods. Samaria was seen as only partially faithful to the covenant. The one you have now is not your husband. And Jesus, we know, is the bridegroom in John's gospel. So when a Samaritan woman joins Jesus, the two divided but related ethnic groups will be as one. They will stop fighting and come to worship in spirit and in truth. So I think we have to ask ourselves this morning just where it is that we draw lines and say this person does not belong. Jesus points to the nature of God who loves the world into a new reality. And I think this story asks us to reimagine the permanence of the past. The question of free will is always with us, and some would have us fully determined by our past. Our past is given, just as our context is. All we can really do is own up to it and say, yes, this did happen, but it will not control the meaning of my life. So both this woman and Jesus are willing in this encounter to be vulnerable and to risk something for faith. Jesus, for some reason, felt that he needed to go through Samaria, and he met her there. She needed water, and Jesus met her need in ways that she couldn't have imagined a bit earlier in the day. He risked criticism for talking to a Samaritan. You need proof? Just revisit the disciples' reaction. She risks ridicule and criticism when she testifies to other Samaritans that he is someone worth following, even though he is not a Samaritan. Being willing to work for change requires some vulnerability. Now the good Samaritan woman persists in the face of those who would shut her up and while she freely tells others about her encounter with Jesus, when the disciples see Jesus with her, they just can't believe it. They are clearly puzzled, yet she openly shares the new life that she has found in Jesus. There is a pronounced failure of the disciples in this story. They awkwardly respond to Jesus' interaction with her, and they worry about its consequences, but she is good. She has some preaching to do to those who know her and are in need of this good news themselves. So this Samaritan woman was candid about her problems and she had a genuine insight about her deepest needs. She longed not for just literal water, but for the living water that Jesus offered to her.
So much so that when she realized it was indeed hers, she left her literal water jar when she returned to town. She made such an impression on Jesus and her own neighbors that John included eyewitness details about Jesus' journey. On the neighbor's request, Jesus stayed two days in Sychar. The woman embraced Jesus as Messiah, and her witness converted many others in her town. We're no longer taking this solely on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves, and we know it for sure. He is the Savior of the world. We should never be afraid to ask for the things that support life. Do not be afraid to share with others the things that give life. So Jesus not only spent valuable time with a marginalized foreign woman, he went on to cast her as the hero of the story, a symbol of life in the kingdom of God. She becomes a beacon story for inclusion and for the notion that you can't keep secrets, be they about your past or where you find really valuable mud. Sometime, someone is going to know, and it's okay. It's okay. Amen.